morning. So this morning our teaching is from Psalm 24. We're going to read from there now. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean, clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We're going to pray together. Father, we are so thankful that as we come before you this morning, we know that you are the Lord of heaven and earth, of all creation, Lord, that you are in control of everything. And Father, so we come to you in awe and with such thankfulness that you, even though you're this God who created the whole world, that you love us and that you have loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, that we can be your children. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the earth. We thank you for how it reminds us of how vast and how great you really are. And so, Father, come this morning and speak to us and open our eyes further to see you, God, as great and good. Father, as we come before you, um, we think of our whole church family this morning, and we want to bring them all before you. Father, we're thankful that you know each one, that you know what's going on in their lives right now, through ups and downs, God, and whatever is going on. We really pray this morning for each of our church family, Lord, that you would come and meet them this morning that you would really bless them with your presence and assure them of your love. And Lord, help them, no matter what's going on, good or bad, help us all to run to you and to rest in your arms. Father, we do pray this morning as well for our children um, in their rooms this morning and ask help for the leaders and for them, Lord, that they would continue to learn your word, Lord, in a way that changes their lives forever. And so, Father, come now into this place by your spirit and speak to us. Guide John and help him as he speaks and help our hearts to be open to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Julie. Uh, we are 
as you now know, in a new series in the Psalms over the summer. And today we're kicking it off with Psalm 24. Psalm 24. One of the reasons why we, we like to do, especially Psalms over the summer, but, but also you maybe noticed a pattern emerge in, in, in my teaching series in that we've just come out of James. We, we literally have done a substantial study in the book of James. We've spent some time there. And what James does, or what James is full of, are what's known as biblical imperatives. Let me just flesh that out for you a wee bit. Biblical imperatives are instructions as to what to do and what not to do. So James will tell you, you know, don't speak, don't speak poorly of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what an imperative is. He's giving you an instruction. Don't do that. He's telling you, you should do this, you should do that, you should not do this, you should do something else. That's what an imperative is. So, so sometimes when we come out of a series like that, or when we think of a series like that, it's all about this is the way you should live, this is the way you should live, don't do this, do this, don't do that. So, what we do then is we need to pause from that and we need to focus on the glory of God. We just need to stop. Uh, you'll see in the Psalms, there, there's, this, there's this one little word that appears every now and again, Salah. It's at the end of this one, I think. Uh, Salah. And literally that means pause. Take time to consider. Think about this. One of the primary ways which we grow as Christians is to consider and to, get, to, to, to find ourselves growing in knowledge of the glory of God. One of, one of the primary ways we, we don't necessarily grow is, is through the do's and the don'ts, and, the, and the, there, you need to do this and you don't need to do that. One of the primary ways we grow is through acknowledging, growing in knowledge, seeing, savoring, the glory of God. And one of the best places we get to do that is in the Psalms. Steph was, was praying in our, uh, before our first service this morning, and she said about the Psalms being God's songbook. And it, and it is like that. It's like we get this opportunity in the Psalms to see just how majestic actually God is. And we see these characters like King David or or other psalm writers, expressing how glorious and how majestic God actually is. And so coming out of James, we pause, we take some time, and we're just going to study the glory of God, how good He is, how majestic He is. One of the ways, one of the primary ways we get a, a glimpse into the glory of God uh, is, is, is through the common grace of creation. We get to look around us. We, we by the very nature of where we live, uh, get to see it up close. We get, we get to go out there. We'll, we'll, we'll take a, you could take a, literally a two-minute walk from here. You'll walk out those doors. You'll walk down to the end of the car park. You'll look left, and you'll see the glory of God. You'll see it. You drive 15 miles in that same direction, you get to the ocean. The Irish Sea is, I don't know if you call it an ocean or not, but anyway, it's sea. It's a vast expanse of water which we get to see the glory of God displayed. We get to see the mountains, the morns come down, sweep down, uh, 
and as I said, the first time I started to sound like Daniel O'Donnell at this point, but we, we, we get to see all that up close. We get to see the glory of God. PJ and I were riding our bikes on Friday night now, and you wouldn't have saw much of the glory of God then because we literally couldn't see five feet in front of us in July. But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, we get to see it, and that's a common grace. Now, I need to do some explaining about that phrase because I tend to throw that phrase around without explaining it much. Common grace. What is common grace? The common grace of God is the fact that He does good and shows good to all of humanity. All of humanity. Whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, whether you're a, a, a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, no matter what you are, God in His infinite wisdom and mercy and might does good to all people. That's known as common grace. One of the, one of the greatest common graces is creation. Where other common graces like food, medicine, those are common graces to everyone. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Jesus said in Matthew 5, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. That is basically just saying that God is good to all of humanity in his common grace. It's just who he is. He is good to all. Now, if that's the case, if, that, if one of the primary areas where we see God's glory is, is revealed through uh, creation, as I say, we just need to look around us. Elsewhere in, in the Psalm, Psalm 19, it, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day He pours out speech, and night to night He reveals knowledge. We see this pattern throughout the whole of the Bible. Particularly in the Old Testament, characters like Job, Moses refer to the glory of God being displayed through creation. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Behold the Lord your God, the Lord your God belong heaven and heaven of heavens and earth and all that is in it. Moses here declaring that it's not even just what we see from our, from our eyes, because trust me, there's a whole lot out there that we do not see, and even that belongs to the Lord. And he has created it all. A whole universe beyond. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is this. Nature never taught me that there exists a God of glory and infinite majesty. I had to learn that in other ways. But nature gave the word glory a meaning for me. You want to know what glory means? The word glory means go outside and have a look. Basically, C.S. Lewis is, is look at creation, and then you'll have a, a meaning to that word. God displays his glory. And what David wants to establish here in Psalm 24 is this. Creation and all its inhabitants are his. Creation and all its inhabitants are his. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It's all his. 
And so if it's all his, what he wants to say is this, he can do with it as he wills. It's up to him what he does with, with the earth. It's up to him what he does with us as its inhabitants. As I say, creation has this way of, of revealing the glory of God, but it is also this way of making us feel very, very small. I, we used to do a lot of work when I was an electrician. We used to do a lot of work in Kilkeel. I've told you this story before. We used to do a lot of work in Kilkeel, and you would have come up on the evenings, especially during the, the summer months, you would have come out over the cairns, and you would have got to the top of, of the cairns, and you would come over by Spelga, and then you would just, there's a, there's a part just where you drop down off Spelga, and you can see Rathfrenland. And it's a dot. It's a dot. And here we are, a dot in a dot. And we think all of our problems and all of our woes are massive, don't we? We think the whole world revolves around us. And we are a dot on a dot. And God is massive. Massive. He is huge, and he is way bigger than we give him credit for. The Apostle Paul understood something of the vastness and the majesty of God when he, when he wrote Romans 9. This is what he says. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Verse 20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Any of us ever done that? Me. Ever question what God's doing? Ever question why he's doing it the way he's doing it? Ever think like, you know, if I was God, I would do it a different way? What I would urge you to do is go to Spelga. And look at what he has done. He is massive, way beyond any of our comprehensions. And yet we come to him in our, in our infinite wisdom, we come to him and be like, why are you doing this this way? I could do it better. The earth and all that is in it belongs to him. And I think sometimes we struggle with this because it seems impersonal. Like you say, you believe in God nowadays. Well, that could mean anything to anybody. There's several thousand gods in, in the world today. There are, you know, you, you believe in the God of whatever. You believe, doesn't mean anything. And it's, it can seem quite impersonal. 
And the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it makes it personal. It makes it personal. The Bible actually tells us that it is the person of Jesus that controls everything. It is the person of our King, our Savior, our Lord that actually controls everything. The Bible makes it very personal. Let me read it to you from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. It says this, He is the image, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the first of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether our thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What does that mean for us when we go out and when we look at creation and we see the glory of God? We praise King Jesus. We personalize it to Jesus. It is him that created all things. It is him that sustains all things. It is in him that we see the glory all around us. We praise King Jesus. And David here, looking forward to a Messiah that was to come, says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell within. You see, David just seems to get it. He just seems to have a comprehension of how vast, how spectacular, how wonderful, majestic God actually is. And what does that make him do? So here you have this, this statement, this, this massive statement about the glory of God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Where does that lead him? That leads him to ask questions about himself. That leads him to ask a question about all of humanity. Look at what he does. Question. All of that, the flow is, he, he, he states the glory of God, and then in verse 4, he asks this question, or, or verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in the holy place? Like, literally, he's went from the glory of God to asking this question about who shall stand in, or who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in a holy place. It's a bit of a change in direction. What is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about, in, in specific context, he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was, was situated on a hill. And he's saying, who, who can make it up there? Who can get into the presence of God? You see, no one, David knows this, no one was allowed into the presence of God. No one was allowed into the Holy Holies apart from one person once a year. The great high priest would go on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for the people's sins. One person once a year. That was it. No one else. 
No one else. So that being said, let's answer David's question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Answer, none of us. None of us. Spurgeon said, it's an uphill work for the creature to reach the Creator. In other words, it's impossible. So let's personalize this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in His holy place? None of us. None of us. Well, that was an interesting first psalm. Let's, Marcus, you want to come up? Lead, we'll go home. No, can't really end on that note, can we? Uh, no. Uh, but that's the reality. Why? Well, you know the answer. Because we've been separated from God through sin. We have this thing called imputed sin. We are sinful from birth, from before birth. We're separated. We cannot go into this holy place. We cannot be in His presence. And let me say this. Maybe we don't say this enough here. Maybe I don't say it enough. God hates sin. God hates sin. He cannot stand it. He cannot be in the presence of it. We cannot be in His presence because of it. Let me read to you Psalm 5, just so, so the Bible says it better than I ever could. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. God hates sin. He is not indifferent towards it. He hates it. But thankfully, that is not where David ends the psalm. Thankfully, that's not where we're finishing today. David says, David goes on then, he says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall do that? One. There is one. There was one back in the Old Testament and there is one now, the great high priest. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He is the only perfect one. There is only one perfect one who can stand in the presence of the Lord, and that is who? King Jesus. King Jesus is the only one that can stand because he's the only one that's pure. He's the only one with clean hands. The reality is in here, we do not have a pure heart and we do not have clean hands. But he does. And so when we read this psalm, this is known as a messianic psalm. It's looking forward to King Jesus. 
when we read this psalm and when we sing about a pure heart and a clean hands, we're not speaking about us. We're speaking about Jesus, the one who could stand, the one who does stand in our place. That's why I said at the start, salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to Jesus. And so when we read this, what we're doing is, and when we, we declare this, what we're doing is two things. The first thing we're doing is we're realizing and we're stating that there is no one apart from Jesus that has a pure heart and clean hands. And we need to thank him for what he has done. The second thing that we're doing is we are declaring that because of that fact, because of that, because Jesus is the one who has a pure heart, who has clean hands, we can then be the man that David talks about in Psalm 32. Let me read what it says in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see the shift here from Psalm 24 to Psalm 32. And here David said in Psalm 24, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? There's only one that's King Jesus. And then because of that, Psalm 32 is then saying, it's the same man, it's a forgiven sinner. It's a forgiven sinner. And if you're in Christ this morning, that's you. That's you. As I said, we've just come out of a, a series in James, and in James, it tells us to, to do certain things, not to do certain things. And one of the things it, 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 it tells us not to do is, is speak poorly of brothers and sisters in Christ. So how, how'd you get on with that this week? How'd we go? Do we uphold that perfectly? Probably not. This is talking about the, the one who comes in and, and confesses their sin, who has confessed their sin, who has asked for a fresh application of the gospel, a fresh application of the blood of Jesus, and who have gotten on their knees and asked for the forgiveness of God, and he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins when we confess them. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven because there is one, one who can ascend the holy hill, who can be in the presence of God and make sacrifice, a once and all sacrifice, for us. Amen? Blessed be the man. Because of his once and for all sacrifice, we can be forgiven. Verse 6 is an interesting verse in Psalm 24. I want to just pause and spend a moment on it. Verse 5 says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. What, what does that mean? Well, it means this. Here we have a promise of blessing for those who genuinely seek the Lord. There is a promise of blessing for those who genuinely seek the Lord. Now, let, let's just stop again. 
and ask ourselves some honest questions. It's really simple. Are we genuinely seeking the Lord? Are we seeking His will? James talked about uh, living presumptuously and living as if we've got all of life ahead of us. And, and James talked about uh, you know, making decisions without consulting the, the Lord and, and the DVWP stuff and all that. Are we seeking the Lord? Are we seeking the Lord in our, our daily decisions? Are we seeking the Lord for our life's direction? Are we seeking the Lord in all of our ways? What does it look like for you to do that? I would, I would love for us, actually, my thing on my feet, I would love for us just as a church to get back to the simple spiritual disciplines that, that, that have stood the test of time through all of church history. Just simple. How do we seek the Lord? We seek the Lord through reading His Word and through prayer. And sometimes, and I'm, I'm guilty for this, and I'll just confess this to you, sometimes I say, you know what, I just, I just don't feel God speaking. I just don't feel God close. I don't feel Him speaking to me. I don't, I'm not hearing from Him. And I'm like, am I reading His Word? Am I praying? Am I... Because here's the thing. The Bible tells us that He's not playing hide-and-seek with us. He's there. He's close. He wants to be close if we genuinely seek Him. But are we genuinely seeking Him? There's blessing if we do. There's blessing if we do, we're told. So, the flow of this psalm is David pointing out the glory of God in, in creation, and, and it's all his, all the inhabitants of the earth are his. He can do with it as he wants. He is glorious, and he is majestic. That then in turn leads him to ask the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall, who shall go into that? One person. One person. Great high priest Jesus. That's it. Then it turns. And it's like David just bursts out in praise because of that. He's just like, you can, you can read it here, you can see it, you can almost see the change. Such as, verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who's, who's, who seek the face of God, the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. It's like there's been this realization in David that there's going to be one come who can ascend the hill of the Lord. He's going to stand in my place. Praise God for that. And he just bursts. He just bursts open with praise. Lift up your heads. This section of the psalm is from what I can read in commentaries, is referring to the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant 
uh, into the temple. But I think it's massively applicable to us. Because I think for the most part of our lives, I, I could be wrong, for the most part of our lives, even though we're believers, even though we would profess to be sons and daughters of King Jesus, we walk around with this low-level, mid-grade shame that we're not doing well enough. That we're, that we're, we're not just hitting the mark. That we're, we're, we're failing and we're falling all the time. Just, just me then, okay. Uh, I think that's the way we are. I think even though we would confess all these things, we would say, yep, yeah, we come in here every Sunday and we do it. We praise Jesus for the glory of the gospel, and we walk out and we're like, I'm crap, I'm not doing enough. I'm not making them, I'm not hitting the mark, I'm not doing what I should be doing, I'm not blah, 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 and we go on and on and on. And I would love for us, for some to shift in us, where we've just realized that we're loved and that we can lift our heads. Lift up your heads. That's like, David's like, lift them up. Come on, let's go. Let's lift your heads here. Look to the King of glory. He, look what he's accomplished for you. You don't need to live in guilt. You don't need to live in shame. You don't... This is being recorded, yeah? Sorry, I'm going off piste. Uh, I literally had a conversation with someone in between the services. Not in the building, outside the building, and not even in the, in the vicinity. So don't be looking around thinking, who was it? All right? There was nobody in here. I literally had a conversation with a believer. And I, what their words were to me was like, oh, John, you know, I've had my fair share of trouble in my life. And they talked about divorce. And they talked about family issues. And you could feel the shame and the guilt seeping through them. And it broke my heart, actually, because they don't need to live in that because of the gospel. They are forgiven. He was a son of the great high priest, Jesus. How many of us are living like that? Looking down, lift our heads. Lift our heads. We believe in a great king, an unbelievable Savior who has wrought a most unbelievable work for us. Amen? Praise King Jesus. Never going to get through this, but I want to finish today by reading just about the one who has accomplished the work for us, King Jesus. It's Revelation 5. Revelation 5, this is what it says. John, this was revealed to John through the Spirit. This is what it says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth 
or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. That's our position. That's our position. And we should, if we were, if we were in the position that we should have been in, we should weep loudly because no one was found. But listen to what it says. No one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We have a magnificent, glorious God. Amen. We really do. So lift your head. So lift your head. Apply the gospel to yourself today. Know that you are forgiven if you're in Christ. Know that you're loved. Know that you're secure. Because you're in Jesus. Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. You're in Jesus. Lift up your heads. Let me pray.